the life of saint hilarion chapters one through fifteen by saint jerome translated by philip shave this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. before i begin to write the life of the blessed hilarion i invoke the aid of the holy spirit who dwelt in him that he who bestowed upon the saint his virtues may grant me such powers of speech to relate them that my words may be adequate to his deeds for the virtue of those who have done great deeds is esteemed in proportion to the ability with which it has been praised by men of genius alexander the great of macedon who was spoken of by daniel as the ram or the panther or the he-goat on reaching the grave of achilles exclaimed happy youth to have the privilege of a great herald of your worth meaning of course homer i however have to tell the story of the life and conversation of a man so renowned that even homer were he here would either envy me the theme or prove unequal to it it is true that the holy man epiphanius bishop of salamis in cyprus who had much intercourse with hilarion set forth his praises in a short but widely circulated letter yet it is one thing to praise the dead in general terms another to relate their characteristic virtues and so we in taking up the work begun by him do him service rather than wrong we despise the abuse of some who as they once disparaged my hero paulus will now perhaps disparage hilarion the former they censured for his solitary life they might find fault with the latter for his discourse with the world the one was always out of sight therefore they think he had no existence the other was seen by many therefore he is deemed of no account it is just what their ancestors the pharisees did of old they were not pleased with john fasting in the desert nor with our lord and saviour in the busy throng eating and drinking but i put my hand to the work on which i have resolved and go on my way closing my ears to the barking of scylla's hounds the birthplace of hilarion was the village thabatha situated about five miles to the south of gaza a city of palestine his parents were idolaters and therefore as the saying is the rose blossomed on the thorn by them he was committed to the charge of a grammarian at alexandria where so far as his age allowed he gave proofs of remarkable ability and character and in a short time endeared himself to all and became an accomplished speaker more important than all this he was a believer in the lord jesus and took no delight in the madness of the circus the blood of the arena the excess of the theatre his whole pleasure was in the assemblies of the church at that time he heard of the famous name anthony which was in the mouth of all the races of egypt he was fired with a desire to see him and set out for the desert he no sooner saw him than he changed his former mode of life and abode with him about two months studying the method of his life and the gravity of his conduct his assiduity in prayer his humility in his dealings with his brethren his severity in rebuke his earnestness in exhortation he noted too that the saint would never on account of bodily weakness break his rule of abstinence or deviate from the plainness of his food at last unable to endure any longer the crowds of those who visited the saint because of various afflictions or the assaults of demons and deeming it a strange anomaly that he should have to bear in the desert the crowds of the cities he thought it was better for him to begin as anthony had begun he said 
Antony is reaping the reward of victory, like a hero who has proved his bravery. I have not entered on the soldier's career. He therefore returned with certain monks to his country, and, his parents being now dead, gave part of his property to his brothers, part to the poor, keeping nothing at all for himself. For he remembered with awe the passage in the Acts of the Apostles, and dreaded the example and punishment of Ananias and Sapphira. Above all, he was mindful of the Lord's words, Whosoever he be of you that renounceth not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. At this time he was about fifteen years old. Accordingly, stripped bare and armed with the weapons of Christ, he entered the wilderness, which stretches to the left seven miles from Majorma, the ports of Gaza, as you go along the coast to Egypt. And although the locality had a record of robbery and of blood, and his relatives and friends warned him of the danger he was incurring, he despised death that he might escape death. His courage in his tender years would have been a marvel to all, were it not that his heart was on fire, and his eyes bright with the gleams and sparks of faith. His cheeks were smooth, his body thin and delicate, unfit to bear the slightest injury which cold or heat could inflict. What then, with no other covering for his limbs but a shirt of sackcloth, and a cloak of skins which the blessed Anthony had given him when he set out, and a blanket of the coarsest sort, he found pleasure in the vast, terrible wilderness, with the sea on one side and the marshland on the other. His food was only fifteen dried figs after sunset, and because the district was notorious for brigandage, it was his practice never to abide long in the same place. What was the devil to do? Whither could he turn? He who once boasted and said, I will ascend into heaven, I will set my throne above the stars of the sky, I will be like the Most High, saw himself conquered and trodden underfoot by a boy whose years did not allow of sin. Satan, therefore, tickled his senses, and, as is his wont, lighted in his maturing body the fires of lust. This mere beginner in Christ's school was forced to think of what he knew not, and to revolve whole trains of thought concerning that of which he had no experience. Angry with himself and beating his bosom, as if with the blow of his hand he could shut out his thoughts. Ass, he exclaimed, stop your kicking. I will not feed you with barley, but with chaff. I will weaken you with hunger and thirst. I will lay you with heavy burdens. I will drive you through heat and cold, that you may think more of food than wantonness. So for three or four days afterwards he sustained his sinking spirit with the juice of herbs and a few dried figs, praying frequently and singing, and hoeing the ground, that the suffering of fasting might be doubled by the pain of toil. At the same time he wove baskets of rushes, and emulated the disciple of the Egyptian monks, and put into practice the apostle's precept. If any will not work, neither let him eat. By these practices he became so enfeebled, and his frame so wasted, that his bones scarcely held together. One night he began to hear the wailing of infants, the bleeding of flocks, the lowing of oxen, the lament of what seemed to be women, the roaring of lions, the noise of an army, and moreover various portentous cries which made him an alarm shrink from the sound ere he had the sight. He understood that the demons were disporting themselves, and falling on his knees, he made the sign of the cross on his forehead, Thus armed as he lay, he fought the more bravely, half longing to see those whom he shuddered to hear, 
and anxiously looking in every direction. Meanwhile, all at once, in the bright moonlight, he saw a chariot with dashing steeds rushing upon him. He called upon Jesus, and suddenly, before his eyes, the earth was opened, and the whole array was swallowed up. Then he said, The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea, and some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we will triumph in the name of the Lord our God. So many were his temptations, and so various the snares of demons night and day, that if I wished to relate them, a volume would not suffice. How often, when he lay down, did naked women appear to him, how often sumptuous feasts when he was hungry. Sometimes, as he prayed, a howling wolf sprang past, or a snarling fox, and when he sang, a gladiatorial show was before him, and a man newly slain would seem to fall at his feet and ask him for burial. Once upon a time, he was praying with his head upon the ground. As in the way with men, his attention was withdrawn from his devotions, and he was thinking of something else. When a tormentor sprang upon his back, and driving his heels into his sides, and beating him across the neck with a horsewhip, cried out, Come, why are you asleep? Then with a loud laugh, asked if he was tired, and would like to have some barley. From his sixteenth to his twentieth year, he shielded himself from heat and rain in the little hut which he had constructed of reeds and sedge. Afterwards, he built himself a small cell, which remains to the present day, five feet in height, that is, less than his own height, and only a little more in length. One might suppose it a tomb rather than a house. He shaved his hair once a year on Easter Day, and until his death was accustomed to lie on the bare ground, or on a bed of rushes. The sackcloth which he had once put on he never washed, and he used to say that it was going too far to look for cleanness in goat's hair cloth, nor did he change his shirt unless the one he wore was almost in rags. He had committed the sacred writings to memory, and after prayer and singing was wont to recite them as if in the presence of God. It would be tedious to narrate singly the successive steps of his spiritual ascent, I will therefore set them in a summary way before my reader, and describe his mode of life at each stage, and will afterwards return to proper historical sequence. From his twentieth to his twenty-seventh year, for three years his food was half a pint of lentils moistened with cold water, and for the next three dry bread with salt and water. From his twenty-seventh year onward to the thirtieth, he supported himself on wild herbs and raw roots of certain shrubs. From his thirty-first to his thirty-fifth year, he had for food six ounces of barley bread, and vegetables slightly cooked without oil. But finding his eyes growing dim, and his whole body shriveled, with a scabby eruption, and dry mange, he added oil to his former food, and up to the sixty-third year of his life, followed this tempered course, tasting neither fruit nor pulse, nor anything whatsoever besides. Then, when he saw his bodily health was broken down, and thought death was near, from his sixty-fourth year to his eightieth he abstained from bread. The fervor of his spirit was so wonderful, that at times when others are wont to allow themselves some laxity of living, he appeared to be entering like a novice on the service of the Lord. He made a sort of broth from meal and bruised herbs, food and drink together scarcely weighing six ounces, and while obeying this rule of diet, he never broke his fast before sunset, not even on festivals, nor in severe sickness. But it is now time to return to the course of event.
while still living in the hut at the age of eighteen robbers came to him by night either supposing that he had something which they might carry off or considering that they would be brought into contempt if a solitary boy felt no dread of their attacks they searched up and down between the sea and the marsh from evening until daybreak without being able to find his resting place then having discovered the boy by the light of day they asked him half in jest what would you do if robbers came to you he replied he that has nothing does not fear robbers said they at all events you might be killed i might he said i might and therefore i do not fear robbers because i am prepared to die then they marvelled at his firmness and faith confessed how they had wandered about in the night and how their eyes had been blinded and promised to lead a stricter life in the future he had now spent twenty-two years in the wilderness and was the common theme in all the cities of palestine though everywhere known by repute only the first person bold enough to break into the presence of the blessed hilarion was a certain woman of eleutheropolis who found that she was despised by her husband on account of her sterility for in fifteen years she had bore no fruit of wedlock he had no expectation of her coming when suddenly she threw herself at his feet forgive my boldness she said take pity on my necessity why do you turn away your eyes why shun my entreaties do not think of me as a woman but as an object of compassion it was my sex that bore the saviour they that are whole have no need of a physician but they that are sick at length after a long time he no longer turned away but looked at the woman and asked the cause of her coming and of her tears on learning this he raised his eyes to heaven and bade her have faith then wept over her as she departed within a year he saw her with a son this his first miracle was succeeded by another still greater and more notable aristonete the wife of elpidius who was afterwards praetorian perfect a woman well known among her people still better known among the christians on her return with her husband from visiting the blessed antony was delayed at gaza by the sickness of her three children for there whether it was owing to the vitiated atmosphere whether it was as afterwards became clear for the glory of god's servant hilarion they were all alike seized by a semi-tertian ague and despaired of by the physicians the mother lay wailing or as one might say walked up and down between the corpses of her three sons not knowing which she should first have to mourn for when however she knew that there was a certain monk in the neighboring wilderness forgetting her matronally state she only remembered she was a mother she set out accompanied by her handmaids and eunuchs and was hardly persuaded by her husband to take an ass to ride upon on reaching the saint she said i pray you by jesus our most merciful god i beseech you by his cross and blood to restore to me my three sons so that the name of our lord and saviour may be glorified in the city of the gentiles then shall his servants enter gaza and the idol marnarius shall fall to the ground at first he refused and said he never left his cell and was not accustomed to enter a house much less a city but she threw herself upon the ground and cried repeatedly hilarion servant of christ give me back my children antony kept them safe in egypt do you save them in syria all present were weeping and the saint himself wept as he denied her what need i to say more the woman did not leave till he promised that he would enter gaza after sunset 
on coming thither he made the sign of the cross over the bed and the fevered limbs of each and called upon the name of jesus marvelous efficacy of the name as if from three fountains the sweet burst forth at the same time in that very hour they took food recognized their mourning mother and with thanks to god warmly kissed the saints hands when the matter was noised abroad and the fame of it spread far and wide the people flocked to him from syria and egypt so that many believed in christ and professed themselves monks for as yet there were no monasteries in palestine nor had any one known a monk in syria before the saintly hilarion it was he who had originated this mode of life and devotion and who first trained men to it in that province the lord jesus had in egypt the aged antony in palestine he had the youthful hilarion Fasidia is a hamlet belonging to rhino coruria a city of egypt from this village a woman who had been blind for ten years was brought to the blessed hilarion and on being presented to him by the brethren for there were now many monks with him affirmed that she had spent all her substance on physicians the saint replied if you had given to the poor what you have wasted on physicians the true physician jesus would have cured you but when she cried aloud and entreated pity he spat into her eyes in imitation of the saviour and with similar instant effect End of chapters 1 through 15